So what are we going to do today? What shall we do today? Uh, you may remember, if you were with us last week, that we talked about the Gideon syndrome and how uh, Gideon was wonder, wondering why God wasn't working the way he had in the past. And he asked that question, Lord, why don't you do those amazing things again? You know, those little things like uh, walking through the Red Sea and manna coming every day to feed the thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the wilderness and, and the walls of Jericho tumbling down when people made a lot of noise, like stuff like that. Lord, why don't you do that again? And then we talked a little bit about back in the day here at Grace Chapel. And you know, it's not wrong to talk about back in the day. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing. We're commanded to remember the good things that God has done, to remember how God has worked in the past and brought people to faith and caused them to grow and the gospel spread and the kingdom of God to grow. It's not wrong to rejoice in those things or to remember them it's just wrong to ask that question if you're complaining. Because you need to be willing to ask the question, Lord, if it's not now like it was back in the day, is it because we're getting in the way? We need to be ready to ask that question and then also ready to hear the answer if there is something we are doing to get in God's way of doing great things. When you cry out, do something, then you need to be ready to go, to obey the way Abraham and Sarah obeyed when God said, go to a land that you don't know where you're going, but I'll show you, and you'll know when I get you there. When God taps you on the shoulder like he did Moses and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, when God taps you on the shoulder like he did Gideon or Esther or Mary and Joseph, the, the parents of Jesus, what shall we do when God says, you are my witnesses and you're empowered and you are equipped to be my witnesses, so go and make disciples in this time, in this place, because I am building my church. Often we kind of respond like Gideon, right? I've been there. Uh, Lord, who, who, me? <laughs> but what did Samuel say? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or like Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she found out she was going to be pregnant, even though she was a virgin, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Oh, Lord, give us hearts that are ready to obey. The day of Pentecost is one of those back-in-the-day when God was doing great things. And he does, doesn't tell us this story to make us envious, like, oh, I wish that would happen now or here, and, and to, to wish, wish, wish. Or it's not so we feel defeated, like, oh, I guess we don't cut it, so God doesn't want to use us that way. No, he told us these stories because he wants to remind us that God in his perfect time, God in his perfect way and design, and by his power, he does great things. He wants to remind us about that. So when people believe, when his people believe, when his people worship, when his people know his word, when his people pray together in unity, when his people apply it, then we see God at work, and God wants to do that in our day. Christ has sent the Spirit to do that. So let's be ready and be, as Jesus commanded us, to be his disciples. 
because people in our day do not understand what's going on in the world. They don't understand the future that God has predicted that's going to be coming, and maybe, maybe very, very soon. They need to know it. They need to understand it. They need to understand about sin and forgiveness and mercy, which we sang about today. That there's new life in Christ and there's hope. So what shall we do? What shall we do? We need to be explaining how God and his word is being fulfilled and how God is working. We need to proclaim the gospel of Christ. We need to focus on what Jesus has done and we need to plead with people. The explanation. Peter in chapter 2 of Acts is about to preach and the people ask a question. What does this mean that we're, there was noise of wind, rushing wind, there were, there were tongues, languages being spoken, there was fire, and, and they were saying, what does this mean? And Peter explains it. Are we ready to give an answer to explain? Well, we need to be. And it shouldn't surprise us about the different responses. We read in verse 12, uh, the people asked, they were perplexed, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them, it says in verse 13, and they said, they've had too much to drink. Then Peter stood up with the 11, verse 14, and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These men are not drunk. Listen to what Joel said, in the last day, God says. It shouldn't surprise us when people respond this way. Some people are going to be asking honest questions. What does this mean? What, what does this faith mean, this, this following Jesus? What does it mean? Why do you do that? We need to be able to explain that hope. Other people are going to doubt. Other people are going to scoff. These men are drunk kind of interesting. Did you notice how sly Peter was? Filled with the Spirit, but he had been doing his homework. He used their question and he brought it up. No, they're not drunk. Let me explain what this is. This, this speaking in tongues, this language stuff you're hearing, this fire, this rushing wind that you've heard that attracted your attention, this is that. It's the prophet Joel's prophecy coming true. This is that. He was able to explain it. Imagine going to your coach, saying, could I talk to the team? And then you explain about this attitude you've had as part of the team and how you're going to change, and not just change yourself, but how because of your faith in Christ, how you want to be a different kind of team player. Wow. Or imagine on that Zoom meeting with your, your team of colleagues that you work with, and someone has a bad day or some bad situations going on, and you give this word of hope in that Zoom meeting, and you know it goes silent, right? Some people are going to scoff. But someone may just say, I need you to explain that more to me. You know, later on, in a different situation, in the quietness, you can explain the hope that is within you. So how does Peter know what to do when these men speak about them being drunk and scoffing and all these people asking questions? 
while God the Spirit was working. He was spirit-empowered. But don't forget that he and the apostles had been with Jesus learning. They had been studying the scriptures and they went to Bible school, so to speak, with Jesus. But more than that, they'd been studying the scriptures. They began to investigate it. Uh, we, we read about that last week. And they had been praying together, seeking God's will. So they went to work. It's like doing those music lessons. Some of you had music lessons, and then, but you didn't practice, right? If you want to get good, you can't just go to the class. You have to, you have to go to work on your own, practice on your own. It's like that with God's word. Yes, we need to gather together to learn, but then we need to study on our own and, and, and ponder things and seek God. This is that. In verse 17 and 18, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Sons and daughters, young people, old people, servants, men and women, everybody. I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Prophecy is not just foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's explaining God's truth in his word telling God's word. When the Spirit comes, this is what's going to happen. When the Spirit comes, bones will come back to life. When the Spirit comes, we're going to be given new hearts that love God, that seek after God, that admit they need God, that would confess their sins. Those are all signs that God's life is living in us. Peter explains what's going on here. This stuff you're seeing is that God's word being fulfilled. What God said would happen is now happening today. Peter didn't explain about the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood and, and the signs of fire and billows of smoke because he was just answering the questions, what's happening today? I wish Peter would have explained his eschatology. Eschatology is just the study of future things. And I would encourage you to know about future things from the word of God, but don't get lost in it. Let the prophecies of God's word that have been fulfilled and those that haven't yet been fulfilled move you to action. Christmas is about 13 weeks away. I was just thinking about that this morning. And, and in Matthew chapter, chapter 2, there's that Christmas story about the Magi coming, seeking the Jewish king that was born. And they went to Jerusalem, and nobody knew that Jesus had been born. No one was worried about that star in the sky like they were. And they asked, well, do you know where this is? And they investigated, and they said, well, the, he was to be born in Bethlehem. But only the Magi went seeking. Why was that so? Because they really didn't believe God's word was coming true, that it wouldn't happen in their time, or that it was just some made-up hope. And King Herod wanted this little baby killed because he just didn't want any threat to his power because there was no faith, no true believing. People of God, let what's coming in the future move us to action to spread the good news to tell people and confront them with the hope of Christ because they may not know it, but they need to hear 
about sin, their sin, and about what it means to be forgiven and to follow Christ. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, Peter wrote, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, what Joel describes in the second part of his prophecy, will come with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So Jesus is coming back. So what's going to be different this week? In your life, in my life? Because he's coming back with fire. Jesus said in the upper room, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be your advocate. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to teach you everything you need to know. He's going to remind you of those things he said to the apostles. Well, how does the Holy Spirit remind us from his word? When we understand the prophecies, when we study, when we go to work to be good students of the scriptures, when we practice explaining what we believe about Jesus. And then there's proclamation. We need to explain, we need to proclaim, we need to preach. What did Peter's generation need to know about Jesus? What do they need to hear? What does our generation need to know about Jesus? Well, Peter talked about Jesus' life. In verse 22 it says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Let me add, and women too because that's what he meant. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So people need to know about Jesus' life. The Gospels were written not as biographies, but more as testimonies, witness accounts, eyewitness accounts of what these people knew was true. He did miracles, he did wonders, he did signs. He did it in Jerusalem. These people knew, a lot of these people knew about that. They were proofs they needed to consider, is Jesus God and Messiah? They needed to ask the question. He talked about Jesus' life. So learn how to use the stories of Christ and what he did to connect with people. Be a student of people and know what's going on in their lives, those people you work with, those students you, you go to school with, and, and learn what's going on in their lives so you can be, answer their questions when they ask. What does this mean? What's God doing? Is there a God? And explain the hope that you have. Talk about Jesus' death. Look at verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus' death was planned by God. I bet you you believe that. He died for sin. Isaiah 53 explains that. He was pierced for our transgressions so that we could be made clean. He made atonement. He covered over our sins. That's what atonement means. 
Forgiveness is given by believing in him, not by doing, but believing. And Christ's death was predicted and came about as described in Isaiah and all the other prophets. Jesus' death came at the hands of God because that was the plan for our salvation. But it also came about by the acts of people. You put him to death, you and other wicked people. You're guilty of murdering an innocent man. Talk about why Jesus came. Talk about his death and what it means. Talk about Jesus' resurrection. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said that about him. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So Peter, excuse me, David wrote, and Peter's pointing back to King David's psalm about this hope in resurrection, but we know David died and he didn't raise to life. So who was David talking about? Well, he was talking about Jesus Christ. His resurrection was predicted. Nine verses are spent on the resurrection because it's a turning point. It's an important truth. If Jesus isn't raised, then our salvation is worthless because it's not true. If he's not raised to life, then he died for nothing. We don't know if his Our sins are covered or not. So talk about Jesus' life. Talk about his death. Talk about his resurrection. And then talk about his exaltation or his ascension to heaven. Because it's because he went to heaven, the Holy Spirit was able to come. That's an important thing because without the Holy Spirit, I couldn't believe in God. Without his help prompting me, leading me, teaching me. Jesus is exalted, and David called his son, that is the son of David, Jesus Christ, his Lord. Dads don't call their son Lord. It's supposed to be the other way around. Why would David call this descendant of his Lord? Because he is the Lord, he is God. Jesus Christ, who was crucified, in verse 36, Psalm, or Peter concludes is, that he is the crucified one who is both Lord and Christ. Be assured of it, Israel. And then there's the plea. When the people heard this, look at verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Boy, that's a question you don't hear very often. I remember as a young man being a counselor at a Billy Graham movie that was showing in the theater. Talk about picking low-hanging fruit. They came to you and you just said, why did you come forward? And they would say, I need to understand what it means to be saved. Wow. When's the last time you had someone come up to you and said, how can I be saved? It's been a while for me. I feel like I have to shake people. 
have to stand on my head and do something fancy to get their attention, to even want to listen to us. But when the Spirit of God is working, when the people of God have been asking for the Spirit of God to move, then it's possible that we will actually hear this question. If we dare to be ready to do it, to speak it, to explain it, to dare say, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he came, that he died, that he rose again, that he's in heaven now and he's coming back. If we dare say that, someone may just reach out and believe because the Spirit is at work. The people's response was, what shall we do? Because they were murderers. They got it. They said, we're in trouble. <laughs> we just killed God's Savior. We killed the one, we murdered the one, we despised him, we hated him, we said crucify him, away with him, we have no king but Caesar. That was us, we were saying that. And he's offering us, what are we going to do? We must be, have no hope. And Peter says, no, you do have hope, repent, change your mind about who Jesus is, be baptized. And baptism is just an action that shows that I'm turning my life to follow Christ wholeheartedly that I believe it, that I've admitted that I've sinned and that I've done wrong and that I have no hope without him. Baptism, baptism is the outward sign that I am now a follower of Christ and no other power, myself or idol or system or way of thinking to save me and to give me life. It's a declaration. I'm turning to follow Christ. There's an unchanging promise here. Repent, Peter says, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. An amazing promise that's there for every generation, for all whom the Lord our God will call will be saved. And with that, verse 40 Peter said and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added that day. There's 36,000 and some odd people who live in our township. Imagine if 3,000 of them got saved today. That's almost one out of every 10. Not quite. One out of every eight. Imagine one out of every eight student in Haverford High School teens were believers, followers of Christ, and not ashamed of it, willing to be baptized and identified as would that encourage your heart? What if that were true in a place where you work? Those of you who go to houses and paint or build things and fix things, one out of every 10 house, a follower of Christ, would that encourage you? Wow. Would you want to keep it? Or would you want to spread the news? Well, Acts kind of shows us what we need to do. Think about what we should be asking the Holy Spirit to do in the hearts and lives of people. Christianity is Christ.
Christianity is Jesus Christ. His incarnation makes it possible for us to be saved, to be our Savior. He came in his human form to die for our sins, to show us what faith in the Father means, to lead us, to save us, to pay for our sins. He died on the cross. He covered our sins. And God has, has made us alive with Christ. He's forgiven us all our sins. He's canceled the written code that was against us, the law. We could never keep the law and all its regulations. He took it away and nailed it to the cross, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2. So Jesus came and lived, and then he died, and then he was raised to life, so proving sin's debt was paid. He's exalted to heaven. We know he's the Lord of all because he sent the Spirit in power on the day of Pentecost, and he's filled your heart life. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, then you have the Spirit of God living in you, and you can begin to live in the power of Christ and overcome sin one day at a time in the process of time. Jesus is building his church. Through us, his people, Jesus' kingdom is here and he's going to come back and finish the work. So what shall we do today? We need to believe. I plead with you, like Peter was pleading with them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Save yourself from this world. It's corruption, it's evil, it's despair. It's confusion. Turn to Christ. He's alive. He's glorified. And if you're not sure that's true, then I dare you, I challenge you to look at his life and read it with a, with a mind that's saying, God, if you're there, show me, teach me, and see if he won't speak to you. Because if you seek, you will find. If you're indifferent, don't expect God to come shaking your head. Shaking your life, excuse me, up. But if you seek, you will find. There's only one risen and glorified prophet. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. There have been many men and women through the ages who speak wisdom and life, who have good advice for living. But none of them have been raised from the dead. None of them have been glorified in heaven. None of them have died for your sins and shown it to be true by how they lived and were raised and promised to come back. Jesus is the way to God. He's the Savior who died in your place. Jesus is the truth. He speaks the truth. He reveals what's not true, what's lies, what is false, what's not good. He is the life. He created life. He came to give us eternal life. He knows how to live life fully. Turn to Christ. Repent. Change your mind about who he is. And this morning, what if you have believed? What if you have confessed that Jesus is Christ, that you truly deep in your heart believe that? Whisper behind your mask right now. I believe Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world. Could you say that? Whisper to yourself. Having believed... Be who you are. You are a witness of the resurrected Savior. So be who you are. Be a student of people. Be persuasive. 
practice explaining. I pity the young man I tried to witness to the first time cold turkey. I was on the boards in Ocean City, New Jersey, you know, a million years ago now. Because it was so confusing. I pity that he, but he, he, he listened to me. <laughs> he was gracious. But you know, God uses his word. We learn, we practice, we do better. We declare what we know. The spirit is with us. Dare to do it. Admit your sins and your weaknesses to your fellow workers. When you're wrong, admit it. Don't be a, act like you're perfect when you know you're not. Show them how God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Savior, is transforming your life and, and changing you. And preach the gospel to yourself regularly, reminding yourself what you were without him or would have been without him, his salvation, thanking him for it. Review it yourself. The cross is a stumbling block to the Jews because... Dying on a tree was a sign of being cursed by God, not blessed. So and it's an offense to them. How could the Messiah die on a cross? That's, that's an offense, and the Gentiles thought it's foolish. How could a savior, a deliverer, someone strong and mighty die on a cross and, and, and not have the power to overcome the powers that were in power, the political powers? It seems so impossible, the resurrection. It sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like... Human beings made it up. But it's not a new problem. Wait till we read Acts chapter 17. Do you remember the story, or do you know the story of the woman at the, the Samaritan woman at the well? It's a miracle of faith when people find Jesus and recognize him as Christ. It's a work of God. And we see this happen at the well. Because when that woman heard Jesus and he spoke to her and she became convinced that he was Messiah, she went and became a witness. And her whole village came out to see who Jesus was. I'm reading. We have heard him ourselves, the village said, the people of the village, and we know that this is indeed Christ the Savior. To the Samaritans, Jesus was just a man, hungry and tired and thirsty. No ordinary person could have seen him in the slightest way of being the Lord and Savior of the world. He just looked like another guy who needed a drink, who needed food, who needed to rest. If you met a complete stranger in the street, would you at that first meeting think he was the Messiah, the Savior? But once they saw Jesus and heard Jesus and listened to Jesus, they could believe. Then we can say, when we can say like the Samaritans, this is the Christ, the Savior of the world, it's because God the Spirit has touched your So how's anyone going to meet Jesus? Because he's not here himself. But wait a minute. He is here. 
He's living in you and me. He's living in us. And we are his people. We are one with him. We are his bride. We are his chosen people. We're his holy nation. We're his priest. He is here. They can see Jesus as we love, as we care, as we go, as we speak, as we tell, as we persuade, as we pray, as we explain. Because when we do that, we will see people come to know Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are amazed. We're awed and we are humbled that your spirit has spoken to our minds and our hearts, our souls, and convinced us that you are the Christ. I pray today that if there's someone here listening or sitting here in the building that doesn't know for sure you are the Savior, Lord, stir their hearts to pursue you, to seek you, to listen to your voice speak through the Gospels, through your word to their hearts. Thank you, Spirit of God, for coming and revealing it to us. Make us one with Christ. Strengthen us. Give us hearts that are humble and ready to ask and to plead for you to work in the open eyes of many. Let it be so, we pray. And we ask this all for Jesus' sake and for his glory. And it's in our Savior's name, Jesus, we pray this and ask it. Amen.